When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1, since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Luminality is the in-between, a space in which, unmapped, becomes a place of obsession and lore, a memory of one small crack on a sphere, its own surface refusing to be made flat. Without distortion, once a plane, now merely a projection of the unknown. I'm Jim Perry, and this is In Liminal. Conversation somewhere in between. Into these places unknown, guarded by deep waterway and trees, out here one doesn't have to try hard to be alone with nature. On a remote peninsula, I'm meeting with an ultralight backpacker named Mike Cleland, whose life changed forever after being taken in the night. His captors, disguised as Al, opening a door in his mind to UFOs, synchronicity, abduction. A wild life turned wilder. I want to thank you for trying this out with me too. Oh, I'm happily, happily. I'm all yeah. for this. This is a, it's like, this couldn't be a better day either. You know, it couldn't so. be a better day. You live in an incredibly wonderful place. I think at night, uh, it probably is a little bit, this is probably an intimidating park for some because it's so old and overgrown and wild. Not, no, I don't like. I'm, I'm not. I come here. I've hiked out at night plenty yeah. of times. They kind of kick you out at a certain hour, and they mm-hmm. all know me. The rangers all know me here, so yeah. they're like, "Oh, the guy with the yellow backpack." And we don't like. Yeah, like, he's fine. Yep. I knew you'd say that as like your, you know, your. I'm not, I don't want to see. I don't want to see your former life as a, you know, a, a, an ultralight backpacker, right? I still do it, but you still do it. But that was. That was a thing. That was a that was a thing. That was like a a really big part of your personhood. I mean, I've seen your YouTube videos and stuff like that. How? Oh, oh it was a big part. I mean, I was I spent depending on how you put it, about twenty plus years teaching. Well, probably more than that. Twenty five years teaching outdoor work, advanced outdoor work, mm-hmm. whether it was mountaineering in Alaska or whether it was winter skiing and expeditioning in the Northern Rockies in the in uh, 
the Tetons and yeah. the winter or whether it was rock climbing or, and then it turned into as I got older and I just wasn't interested in carrying the mountaineering pack, right? <laughs> Wet ropes and... Is that what it came down to? Was like, I love a lot of aspects of this, but I just oh, don't want to... 100%, 100%, 100%, yeah. I mean, literally it was like, like the level of ibuprofen you take at the end of a day, you mm-hmm. put a big backpack on with a wet rope and go into yeah. the mountains of Alaska. Right. And I was in my 50s and I was working with teenagers, yeah. you know, college age kids or young adults. Yeah. And, uh, oh my God, you get some aching bones at the end yeah. of that. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, something's got to change. Right. So I still, everything, it's, it's so it's... um. When you rock climb, there's numbers involved, mm. right? So that the routes are rated, and as okay, you, know, yeah, sure. you go for the highest number, mm-hmm. like the most technical route, the numbers go up and up from like, so you're always aiming, like, can I climb a mm. little higher? Can I get mm-hmm. that number a little higher? And the same thing is true. Like, I basically changed to a different sport with numbers. And so ultralight backpacking has numbers too, where you're going for the lowest weight. You put oh, your yeah. pack on the scale, and you want it, if you can shave a couple ounces off. Yeah. What did that look like for you? How, how light did you go? Well, I mean, it depends on the length of a trip and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I mean, sub five pounds, less than five pounds on the back for two nights was not that big a deal. What what is that? What does that pack look like for something like that? You know, like little kids when they, you see them like mm-hmm. standing at the bus stop waiting to go to kindergarten. Yeah, yeah it's smaller than those, basically. That's, wild. <laughs> so That's a little. I don't know how else. Yeah, to say but your amount, that. your level of comfortability in the outdoor setting cannot be. Uh, I mean. That's, that's so. So I like the thought of people say like, "Oh, you sleep outside." So like, there's you know what? It's funny in the books that I've done. There's so then the the there's so much like people pointed it out to me that like, "Oh, you sleep outside a lot, don't you?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I sleep outside a lot under the stars." And so there was someone, someone, uh, a friend of mine worked for Backpacker Magazine, and she said like, um, "Like, how do you set your tent up?" I said, I use it as a pillow. I never set a tent up. <laughs> I mean, why would you sit there? Like, it's got to be raining before you sit. And if it's so. Yeah. Unless it's raining, <laughs> you don't need a tent. There seems like, the, yeah, there's like a. Or com- buggy, really buggy. So. Right. There seems to be a competitive quality with yourself in those sort of situations, right? Like, let's get it lighter. Oh, God, yeah. Let's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to set up the tent. You tents. know, so two, two guys. It's really interesting. Uh, I've had this conversation. Women and men are different. Mm-hmm. Men, women communicate. And men tend to compete. Um, this is oversimplification. So yeah. two men, two guys prepping for an ultralight backpacking tip, you're going to, because they'll go like, oh, I'm going to leave this behind. I'll go, yeah, you're going to leave that. <laughs> I'll leave that behind and leave this behind. Right. So then you, you can really go light. Two guys going out yep. can compete, you know. when Who's got less? Who's got less? <laughs> and yeah, and oftentimes, and so, yeah, so you can go. You can go pretty light with two guys. Yeah. What's your perspective on those shows like uh, Alone and some of those survival oh. shows? And would you? Oh, is oh it... they drive me. They're, they're, they drive me crazy. Uh-huh. So the thing is that the, <laughs> so those shows are designed to create like people are antagonizing each other, right? So yeah. they get two or like a team or whatever it was. What was the one? Survival or Survivor? Yeah, right. Where they Survivor. Have the people, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. voted off the mm-hmm. island. Those things. Yeah. So what happens when I was working, especially? Um, I would, so much of my focus was, there's a checklist of things you need to do. You'd have to teach skills. You have to provide a really powerful trip. I worked for a school called, um, I'm not going to use the name of the school, but if you Google me and you'll find out right away, I just choose not to, like, they don't need to be dirtied by my research. So, 
sullied by your research. Sullied, maybe not sullied by my my, my odd ways. But um, they would do these bold trips. Like, wow, would they... We were encouraged to do these bold, powerful outdoor trips. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was part of that was group dynamics, creating mm-hmm. a small community. So we would go out for 30 days in the, like you go out for 30 days in the glaciers of Alaska, you're seeing nobody. The, wow. The groceries, yeah. every 10 days they deliver the groceries. Pretty hard to carry 30 days of food on your back. You can carry 10 days of food. So you have two Two times the airplane will come in and land on the glacier and deliver the groceries, and then we have our. We got a friend. Yeah, I think he wants us to feed it. I think yeah. we're on a picnic <laughs> table where it's been fed before. <laughs> right. um, so, uh, so the so you there's that's all you get. Mm. Thirty days, maybe 50, 12 to fifteen people. Thirty days, nobody else except the pilot. You're gonna see nobody, wow. and so in that time you can really build a community, mm-hmm. and that was really front and center of my focus as in the role of instructor yeah. is to build that community. And and that makes me crazy on those shows because they're trying to disrupt the community. They're trying to create antagonism. Yeah. They're purposely putting people in stressful situations mm-hmm. where they will snap, where we're putting people in stressful situations that are rewarding, right? You climb a mountain, stressful, yeah. a lot of, lot of, lot of issues, right. you know, big team of 12, try to get it up a mountain. And, um, and then at the same time, you're trying to bring the team together you're trying to create something cohesive so it's really super rewarding yeah super emotionally well, rewarding like for yeah. for me and for all the the students too yeah have uh i don't want to jump ahead too much but have you found those places within the paranormal space you know what is it so the camaraderie is there right so so you go to, so like i've early on when i would go to the ufo conferences like i was a mess like I was, I was not at peace with what certainly seemed to be invading my life. It was rough. Like I, like every part of me wanted to deny it. And then you go to a UFO conference, and you meet people who are a little further down the path, and uh, and that was really great. So there, it's a different, it's a community for sure. Yeah. So there is that similarity where you get a community of people that are. You know, it's not like they have to do much except mm-hmm. just say like, oh, I understand or I'm there. Or, I've been there too. Right. Perfect example of that. So when yeah. I met, she was she was further down the road than I was. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was that person that's a mess and tense and anxious. And then I also will meet those people mm-hmm. that, and I can just say, oh, you're where I was 15 years ago. Yeah. And I can, I can just or 10 years ago mm-hmm. or, and and that's been helpful for them and it's been and I'm glad it's behind me that that anxious side of it yeah I, like I've said it pretty clearly and it's in the books and I don't shy away from it between about 2006 and about 2012 13 I spent 95% of my waking hours wondering if I had gone insane oh. like the the things that like like that by all accounts should not be real. And most of this was synchronistic, like just coincidences that defied all logic were welling up in my life, and I could not deny it. And the synchronicities all revolved around either UFOs or owls and and there or the combination of both often. Mm-hmm. And then and it was it was crazy making. Mm-hmm. And I, and at a certain point I had I had 
like things just became confirmed. Like I just mm-hmm. was beaten down to the point where I was like, I cried uncle and said, okay, it's real. Yeah. And, and then after that, there was just a level of, I wouldn't say a level of peace, but there's a, there's like a grinding tape loop mm-hmm. that had been in my head. It was unstoppable. And it said, this can't happen. This is impossible. Yeah. This can't happen. It can't be happening to you. It's like, it's impossible. This can't happen. And then once I realized, oh no, this is happening. Mm-hmm. The tape loop got disengaged. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, that, that was so unhealthy to have that tape loop in my head because I knew it was happening. And the voice in my head, my voice in my head was saying it can't happen. So anyway, so I, I was able to proceed forward with a level of, I wouldn't say clarity because it's still a mystery. It's still mm-hmm. a huge mystery, but I would say mm-hmm. I can proceed forward with a, what I've been saying lately, and people can resonate with this who've had these experiences, I say, I am no longer allowed to be astonished. Mm. I'm allowed to be in awe, right? Mm-hmm. So I can be in awe. That's a, astonishment and awe are two different things. So mm-hmm. I'm allowed to be in awe of the phenomena, but I am not allowed to be astonished anymore. Because mm-hmm. astonishment, like, it it implies, I don't know, like your adrenal glands kind of on overdrive. Yeah. And that was unhealthy. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so I've been much more peaceful and honest. And then what has happened, which I've seen in other people too, and other people have, have the synchronistic stuff still happens to me all the time. I found that the flavor and mood of the synchronicities aren't as frenetic and oppressive as, hmm. as they were a decade ago. Do you think that relates to you making the decision that you can no longer be astonished? hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's a level of sort of added control towards the situation as well, right? Like in terms of you controlling what your response is. You may not be able to control what this phenomenon is or what is happening to you, but you can control a little bit about how you're reacting. Yeah, oh, I can control your reaction. Yeah, exactly. So I can't control what's going on. I can I can ask. I can make a plea. And sometimes you get a little response to that, you know, like you can, I mean, prayer, whatever I want to turn it, intention, yeah. whatever you want to say. And then I also find that um, like floating down the center of the river is better than getting caught in the weeds on the slow side of the river or mm. caught in the rapids on the fast side of the river. So like right. the best I can do to just go with the flow and stay in the center of the river has been helpful, really yeah. helpful. How do you, did you discover that just by trial and error? Is it something that over time? I think just or? over time I just got worn down and just, mm-hmm. so the, the first I mean, the first few years of the blog, the blog, I have not been active on the blog. It's a mm-hmm. different world now. But in 2009, when I started the blog, that was a kind of, it was, that was early on in the blogosphere. I think mm-hmm. that's a word, blogosphere. Sure. And, um, and you, you can just, it's right there. You can just, you don't have to like, you don't have to read between the lines. I was agitated. I was on edge. I was freaked out. I was unsettled. And I was using the yeah. blog as a, as a very public diary to try mm-hmm. to make sense of this. So, I can just go through and I can say, I can, I mean, these blogs are posts are dated. I can just go yeah. through and like say, oh yeah, that was, that was a rough time in my life. And now it's a much more peaceful time. Lots of challenges. I'm still trying to take on writing as a way to therapeutically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the writing process, the books have been like, I can't go to a therapist. Mm-hmm. I, know, I can't go to a therapist. Like, unless it's a very specific therapist who's yeah. focused only on this subject because they, because they can't, they're, they're. I went to a therapist one time, this would have been about a decade ago, around 2011 or 12. Yeah, about a decade ago. And um, I went to the first thing and 
and I kind of said, oh, well, I'm having this issue with UFOs. And, and I think, like, by, by all accounts, it's, there's a combination that seems to be related to owls. And I feel like I'm directly involved in this phenomenon. And I'm, you know, it's been very, and then she's like nodding. And then the next time I went in, it's like she was at this, she had obviously rehearsed the speech a week later. I go in and she says, have you ever considered going on any psychotic medication? And I was like, no, I haven't really considered going on any psychotic medication. And I guess we should probably end this because, so that was wow. like, I was just like, oh, I guess I can't. Like, so then I do it through writing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was, yeah. I, I understood. I was sympathetic yeah. with her. Like, I was like, oh, I guess I do sound, I sound crazy. Right. Right. So there's but it's a, also the trick of this, right? And it's why probably having community is so important in this, in that world, in the world of experiencers and contactees and abductees. Because without that, where do you turn? I mean, I suppose if you have the facility to be to use writing as a therapy and those things, but we know so many people that don't have that, you know, and they're just kind of they're floating in the wind, you know, they're in the rapids, you know, and, and or stuck I, in the weeds, yeah, yeah. And when I was talking with Whitley recently, we had agreed that uh, you know experiencers are are the last ones in terms of dealing with the phenomenon that can't say anything about it really that are ones that they're completely okay to be made fun of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and put in the corner you can have a ghost experience and it actually be okay you can see a ufo and that's water cooler talk but if you've had an experience of potentially being taken or synchronicities occurring you know in, in a long line of um you know sort of harrowing or or um at probably at that time astonishing events right where do you turn with that? I guess, I, I suppose a lot of people turn to you. I was going to say, they just, so, yeah. so so my avenue of research is, right, so the UFO phenomenon is this big, big, giant collective, it goes from- Put your the, arms out. I'm, I, I couldn't get Reach my arms, if I had yeah. longer arms, I still wouldn't be able to make my point. Um, and then what I'm focused on, right, so it, this goes from like, you know, aircraft carrier pilots, you know, or Navy pilots on an aircraft carrier to, to someone- you know, alone on a country road, you know, yeah. so, and then everything in between from government secrets to, to, and anyway, it just goes on. It's a bottomless pit essentially. Yeah. And for reasons I don't understand, I had, I had some experiences with owls and I started asking people like, I want to hear your owl stories. Right. And then, and then it didn't take long before I put it on my blog. I say, I want to hear your owl stories. When I'm at the end of a podcast, I say, I want to, people to reach out to me with their all stories. So if anyone anywhere in the world has an experience with a UFO and an owl, I'm one or two mouse clicks away. They type in UFO owls. I'm the first thing that comes up. They get to my page. It says, I want to hear your story. They send me their stories. So I have, so like you're saying, like the, like we're a lot, like it's not normal. Like the, you're allowed to see a UFO if you're a pilot. It's that's new. That's re, that's a recent change. You're allowed to talk about it at the water cooler as long as it stays above a certain level. The people who are having UFO and owl experiences don't ask me why. That is a collision of the mystical and the unknown, or the I don't know how to say it. So I'm I'm like the thinnest little strata, mm -hmm. the thinnest little fractal with you know, that's embedded in this huge giant mystery is what I'm focused on. So yeah. I talk to people all the time with the weirdest experiences. And so does Whitley. Mm -hmm. And so does any other person who's 
engaged in this. They have to filter it. Yeah, yeah, you know just what I'm talking. About. You got to filter it out. You got to you got to say you got to size up the person yeah. you're talking to at the water cooler. Are they ready for this? Yeah. Can they handle this story? Or what? If they can't handle this story, I'll tell this story up here. <laughs> if they, and then I'll go. So, and I'm like, I don't know, for better or for worse, I'm like, I'm tired of that. I'm not interested in that. Like, yeah. I'm like, like I'm going right to the. I want to go right to the strangest. And the reason I the strangest stories I want to I want to address the strangest accounts I want to understand the the deepest mysteries and I'm doing that because I've been hit with them myself yeah by myself mm-hmm. yeah it'll it, it, I mean it does that it has the reaction of breaking down those walls for some folks and then if I, my walls are broken down then it's hard for me to communicate with someone whose walls are still up mm-hmm. you know they've got the they've got the the, the Oh, the shields like the Star yeah. Trek Enterprise has, mm-hmm. on, you know, like the yeah. The, so they're impenetrable. Mm-hmm. And they'll never hear it, and mm-hmm. um, so I just have to move on and yeah. and talk to people who are open enough to hear it, and and I'm not interested in the middle ground at all. Yeah, so. yeah, which can be freeing sometimes in itself, you know. A little um, bit, yeah. Yeah, but so there's like, I try to be a credible person, telling incredible stories. Mm-hmm. Not all the stories are my own. I got plenty of my own stories, but I try to be a grounded, credible person and i recognize there's a responsibility with these stories mm-hmm. like my responsibility is not to put them in a file cabinet and close the file cabinet put a lock on it mm-hmm. that my responsibility is to get these stories out there yeah. and these stories are no different than any other powerful story that was shared around the campfire mm-hmm. you know or a or a i almost want to say a budding mythology right I yeah. think there's a there's a there's an old mythology in place. Mm-hmm. They just we have a budding mythology that's emerging now with wow. with different outfits and different yeah. costumes mm-hmm. and different ways of sharing the story. We don't do it orally over a, around the campfire. We do it through podcasts and books and right and an evolving mythology too. Because as technology expands, it's changing what these myths are and how how exactly. we interpret exactly. them, how how we are allowed to believe in them or participate in them. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Let's go back because I realize that we are speaking appropriately uh, to the audience that has heard your story. As I guarantee everyone watching this is, is familiar with it. But for the sake of that one person that hasn't, take me back to you are so comfortable in the outdoors and you are outdoors one night where kind of things start to change for you, right? 
Well, so you're talking about the event that took place in 2006 with Kristen. Yeah. So Chris, I just texted Kristen this morning. We had a conversation. Oh. <laughs> so, so we're still in touch. So that's been 16 or 17 years now. So we still chat occasionally. So, um, so let me just say, leading up to this, at the time in 2006, I was 44 years old. I'm 60 now. And when I was 44, I knew that I had had these experiences. Like I had a missing time event with a, with a bright light in the sky, a bright orange light. I had um, a close-up UFO sighting as a 12-year-old boy. And then when I was 30, I woke up in the middle of the night with a bright light shining in the window. And I sat up and looked outside, like, what's this bright light? And there were five classic spindly gray aliens with the bald heads and the big black eyes walking towards my house. And they were backlit by this bright thing. And it was like, it was like close to the window. Like they weren't out way out there. They were like right up close to the window. And I had, I heard this voice in my head that said, oh yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. And I, I just laid down, went right to sleep. This, and, and this is so funny because like, this is, that's a scary story. I should have by all yeah. rights, gotten up and locked the doors and gotten a baseball bat and grabbed big knives or whatever it might have been. <laughs> and, and I didn't. I went to sleep. And then the next day, I just dismissed it all as a dream, and I never even bothered to look and see if there were footprints in the snow. And that event, that event, it would be fair to call it dreamlike, but I know it was not a dream. Yeah. So, so that was already... I had that. I could tell those stories. I could sit around a campfire or at a dinner table or at a you know party. I could just say, and you and you did. Oh, I did. Right? I was yeah, I yeah. was not shy mm-hmm. about sharing these stories. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, what? what like, isn't that weird? You know, what would have thunk? And yeah, and I just never addressed them or never went beyond that. Mm-hmm. And and then there was a point I knew I was going to need to look into it. And um. And I knew. I was kind of compulsively reading UFO literature and UFO books, and that's kind of telling mm-hmm. so I went out camping for one night with Kristen I was living at the time in um, a little town in Idaho and I was right next to Grand Teton National Park mm. which is right next to Yellowstone just glorious mountain yeah. terrain and Kristen worked at the same school I worked at I had been in Alaska all summer and I came back to my little hometown and they have a branch of the school in my town and then she was working it's everyone's real tight knit community and so I would so I visited the branch and I had started a conversation with her. And she, this was in September or October, probably the end of September. And I said, um, oh, you've been here all summer. You must have camped a lot. You're right, camping, you know, like right out the door. You could like walk out the back door of the, where the branch was and go camping. And she was like, no, I didn't camp once. And I'm like, that's terrible. I'll take you camping. <laughs> so this was like a first date in a weird way. And this sounds mm-hmm. so funny. People are like... You meet people from other parts of the country, and they're like, "You took someone out to camping for a first date." I'm like, yeah, this is the culture there. Yeah, this was not that. This was like, <laughs> right. you know, asking someone to go surfing if you lived in Malibu. Yeah, you know? right, so, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we hiked into the mountains with very little. We didn't take a backpack, or excuse me, we didn't take a tent because there was um, it was just a beautiful night. It was going to be. We looked at the forecast, and we left in the afternoon. We knew it was going to be a beautiful night. So um, very light. And then I had been working all summer long. I was completely in my element. And I was just like, let me, I'll make dinner. So I made dinner on this little teeny stove. And we were sitting on this flat rock and the sun was setting. This is a field of wildflowers. This is like yeah. 
You're dialed in. I was dialed in. The yeah. environment was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was wowing her. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. this is like, it was as pretty as it gets as yeah. far as the environment, the sun setting. <laughs> and, and then as it starts getting darker, this owl like whoosh, flies over our head. And then another owl. And then a third owl. And for the next two hours, as the sun was setting and things got dark, these owls just kept on flying around us. They'd land on branches near us and they'd kind of fly in circles above us. And so we we were, um, when we finally set our sleeping bags down to sleep, we just set our pads down and slept right under the stars. And we, would, we were lying down. Now, owls are very quiet in flight, specialized feathers. So you'd be looking up at the stars. And this is like mm-hmm. close to 10,000, probably 9,000 feet in mm-hmm. elevation. Mm-hmm. Far northern latitude, very remote part of the West, so the stars are like mind blowing, yeah, right? And you'd be looking at the stars, and this just like whoosh, they'd go blinked out for one, one little instant, and yeah. that was because the owls were flying right over our faces. Yeah, and it was so cool, it was so cool. And then, so the next morning, we were like all a buzz about owls, and it's like, let's do this, let's go camping again sometime. Yeah, and um, how to tell the story properly? There's so many synchronicities and weird things associated yeah. with these yeah, this trip. Right. So that just, I mean, I could, uh, yeah. so I'll just rein it in. But so <laughs> f- f- uh, four days later, we go camping again. It's a little colder this night. So I said, let's walk up to the top of that hill. So we walk to warm up, right? Because we had a tent mm-hmm. this time. Yeah. And because it was cold. And mm-hmm. it actually snowed that night. We woke up with a little bit of snow on the ground. Oh, man. And, um, and we, uh, we hiked up to the top of this hill. And then we got to the top of the hill and an owl flew over us and another owl and a third owl. And it, and before, four days earlier, in a completely different part of the mountains, same experience, but this time they were so close. They were so close. They were like at our feet mm. standing there. And I just remember the look on, on Kristen's face, just like, like both of us were astonished. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't say it then, but I'm saying it now. I heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. So I was looking at real owls. Hmm. They're little. They're 10 inches tall. They weren't anything mm-hmm. outrageous. They were like cute and flying around and mm-hmm. doing owl things. And, <laughs> and, and I heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. I heard it both nights. And it was more like, a, well, it's tough. This is... It was within the, I was well aware of that in the UFO literature, owls are often seen around the time of UFO contact, mm-hmm. often as what's called a screen memory. But these were like, a screen memory is when people see a four foot tall owl on the road. Yeah. And, and, uh, but these were, you know. So, yeah. After that, to have it happen once was like pretty cool. To have it happen twice was like positively mystical and it like pushed me over the edge. Yeah. And I, I started a blog where I, so, so what I ended up doing before I started the blog, I started reaching out to like UFO investigators, mm-hmm. you know, so I saw owls and started researching UFOs. Yeah. Basically, I started researching myself. That would be yeah, the better way to say it. Right. And then I would ask, I would contact people like Leo Sprinkle, who has since passed on and Bud Hopkins and then other people. And Leo was great. He would say, oh, you should call this person. So I'd call him. And little by little, didn't take long. I had a little network of people that I could contact. And everyone I talked with, I would say, have you had any odd experiences with owls? It wasn't 100%, but it was enough that there was a, 
that there was a there was a recognizable proportion. Mm-hmm. Like this was people people would say, no one's ever asked me that question. I had the strangest experience with an owl, and I started oh. collecting and archiving these stories, and that was in two thousand and seven or so that I really started paying attention to this. Yeah. Um, what I didn't say before, when we were talking about the very first owls, excuse me, when we were when I was cooking on the flat rock and the very first owl flew above us, Kristen and I were in a conversation and I had this moment of just like, oh my word, this is a smart person. This is a thoughtful person. I did not expect this was a stranger. Mm-hmm. Right? And I did not expect the depth to her sensitivity. And and I wrote the story that I just shared as a blog post and put it in the very first, you can scroll back to the very first few blog posts. I think it was the second blog post I put on the site. Mm-hmm. And I and I contacted her after it was put on the site. So I that happened in 2006. My The blog, the owl sighting happened in 2006. I started the blog in 2009, three years later. And then I called her up. She had moved out of the valley. And I called her up and said, hey, like, I got to ask. What were we talking about the very first night when we saw the very first owls? And she said, oh, I remember exactly what I was talking about. I was giving my most heartfelt definition of what God means to me. Mm. So that, like, I'm not at all churchy in that respect. Like, I, Mm. but I know the power and the place of mythology or mythic thought or mythic symbolism. I know that where the, where the, the concept and idea and depth and heaviness of God would lie in that. And it's like, doesn't get much higher than that. So yeah. she, like, we were like, okay, so this already mystical experience just whoosh, goes transcendent in my mind because of her comment. And I got so obsessed. Oh my God, I got obsessed. Mm-hmm. I just started owls, owls, owls. And that has not, it's lessened and ebbed and flowed over the years, but wow, it has not mm-hmm. turned off. So I have been. What do you think it opened up in you? That, that that made you so obsessed at that point in time. You know what it was? It, in a funny way, is simply I had a thread to pull on. Hmm. Right? So before I was just like, what is it? Mm-hmm. What is this stuff? Mm-hmm. What is this mystery? Right? So flying saucers with aliens, like, uh, like that falls apart. If you really look mm-hmm. at it, that falls apart. And And so I had this one little thread. And when I'd pull on it, by pulling on it, for instance, I would put a thing on my blog, which said, I want to hear your owl stories. Mm-hmm. I started receiving these things. And the the richness and the mystical aspects of these stories mm-hmm. have, have been absolutely, like I have no reason at all to turn away from this study mm-hmm. because it, it has proven so rich. Yeah. And, and it's not, like, it's not the big UFO mm-hmm. Conglomerate of a trillion stories. It's this thin, narrow sliver of yeah. people who have owls and UFOs in combination that has that has that has kept me in awe yeah. for the last well over a decade now. Yeah, yeah. When anyone thinks of owl within the phenomenon, they now think of you. I mean, you are you are the owl guy, whether you kind of like that moniker or not. I'm totally content with that moniker. What yeah. I can say is I didn't invent the owl thing. Yeah. Like other people, Whitley Strieber mm-hmm. certainly was ahead of me in the, in, he, so his book yeah. Communion mm-hmm. is, as far as I can tell, the very first place that 
owls and UFOs were directly connected in a, mm-hmm. in let's say a popular piece of literature. Mm-hmm. There might be some stuff before that. I simply haven't found it. Mm-hmm. So that's 1987, mm-hmm. which isn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, in in um, Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, there's mm-hmm. a fictional account mm-hmm. of UFO contact. And let me tell you, the owls are all over that story. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. straight down the line, absolutely clicks in place. It's mm-hmm. perfect. It matches the lore that has emerged. And But it was in, in the realm of fiction mm-hmm. as opposed to Whitley's, which was nonfiction, yeah. which fascinates me. And mm-hmm. what also here, so I can also say that, that Slaughterhouse-Five and Communion, like if you had to put a list of like the most important books of the 20th century, both those books would be on that list. Yeah. Then I could watch it. Can I ask a question? I'm sitting on the couch. My sister's on one side, my brother's on the other. And the neighbor from across the street, my sister's best friend, Ruthie, is sitting directly across from us. And she says, Jim, Gene, Mike, I know there is an afterlife. And I know because of an owl. And on my sister, I kid you not, she knew of my research. She like did the thing where she was like, no, I'll, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear it. And yeah. my brother came in and said, like, you paid Ruthie to do this. <laughs> What's going on? You did. You made Ruthie say this. I'm like, like Ruthie, they had this expression like, what did I just say? You know? Right. So I'm like, I was like, Ruthie, you don't know it, but I'm doing this research and it's about owls and this mystical stuff sometimes associated with UFOs. And, and then she, um, she told this beautiful story where she she would walk the nature trail shortly after her father died. And then every day she'd walk across, she'd walk right past a branch and there was always an owl on this branch. And then finally there was a day she said, owls shouldn't be out during the day. And she stood and looked at this owl and she said, are you my daddy? And she said at that moment, all the grief evaporated. And she knew her father was fine and in a better place. And they all flew off and she never saw it again. That story, I have heard that story in one form or another enough that it's enough that I am convinced that that is part of the human experience. Like people have had that experience, you know, all across the ages, all over the world. I'm convinced of it because it shows up in my email inbox with a with a consistency that that it's not it's it's a it's it's a real thing that happens to people i have an owl story that i don't think i've told you let's have it um so last year we had to go and change the oil in our car and we live on the Oregon coast, and we have to go to Portland to change the oil in this car to keep within lease or whatever, or keep within warranty. And on our way back, we had not realized that it was the last day of elk season. And so on this rural highway, as we're you know, cutting through to get back home, uh, a herd of elk were in the road. And my wife, who was driving the car, hit an elk. Uh, we totaled the car. Oh. Uh, we uh, blacked out for a second, um, and they almost died. Was were you, anyone hurt? Um, no. Okay. 
the car behind us was able to stop. Um, the elk dragged itself to the side of the road. When we came to, we were able to pull the car off onto the shoulder. Um, we were helped by people immediately. Uh, we were able to get out of the car, even though all the air airbags deployed, but the car was just, it was toast. The first thing I did, like, after making sure my wife was okay is, uh, in the background was, was the elk who was still, he was up on, uh, it, it was up on its haunches looking at us with, with, with a look that I like sort of will never forget because it was, uh, almost felt like an understanding or something of what had happened. It knew what happened and we knew what happened, obviously. And we both were sort of worse for the wear at that moment. Um, as it was the last day of the hunting season, someone came by, it was a veteran. He had the specific tags for this mule and was able to, you know, uh, put it out of its misery right away, harvest it. So we were shaken. Obviously, we had to get a ride back home with a sheriff. And uh, we were just really lucky and happy to be alive. And I couldn't sleep that night. And because uh, I just kept thinking about... Um, it's one of the reasons why when I was talking to... Uh, when I had my recent conversation with Whitley, we were talking about wives. And he was talking about Anne. And I was talking about how much I... Um, um, how powerful their relationship is uh, because I was thinking about my own wife and um, how I almost lost her so I couldn't uh, I obviously couldn't sleep that night and I was up and then the dogs got me up and it was like maybe four in the morning and so I trudge out there and let them out they go into the backyard and I see this uh, white blur that almost looks like a, a giant uh, trash bag flying throughout mm -hmm. the air i'm like wow that's that is not a trash bag that's weird what was that so i go into the yard to go check to see what it is and check to see that the the dogs are there because there's also hawks and all sorts of things of course i start walking back towards the house and our neighbor who was right next door i look to their 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 roof line and there is a white owl that is um, four and a half to five feet tall. It's the size of a human being. Okay. And standing there and just looking at me. And we shared a moment that was so similar to the moment I had the day before with the elk that it was sort of stunning. And again, it felt like a... It felt like there was something there, some sort of um, acknowledgement of what had happened. And I... There's no, uh, I can't, you know, I don't know what that means. Uh, asking my mystic friends uh, what this could mean. They said maybe that means nothing, but maybe it means everything. We don't know. Thank you. Abstract mysticism. But uh, uh, as, you know, as th these things typically go, right? But um, uh, when that happened, I, uh, you know, I, I went back inside and I thought one day I need to tell Mike about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because obviously I've read all of your work and uh, I know I, I know your story and I know you and um, it felt a little bit like whatever was going on there knew I knew that 
knew I had a relationship to that and that maybe I would feel a little bit of awe and comfort in knowing that, like, dude, you're okay. You made it. Time to move on. Let's keep chasing mystery. Okay. <laughs> but that's my own, like, sort of interpretation that I put on it. Uh, my own lens that I, I guess I'm choosing to place on that. Um, again, uh, nothing I believe is sort of extraterrestrial or non-human intelligence related. You know what I mean? Like uh, in which maybe I would have been excited if there was a connection uh, in some weird way. But certainly on the sort of the emotional mystical tip, it, it really resonated, you know? Sal's, they're powerful totems, aren't they? <laughs> They are powerful totems. So the questions I would ask, so I don't have to ask you what was going on leading up to the owl sighting. You were very clear about that. What changed after? These are the two questions I ask. Mm -hmm. What happened in this UFO sighting, mm -hmm. powerful synchronicity, owl sighting. I ask the same questions. What was going on in your life leading up to it? What changed after? Yeah. I got on with stuff. Okay. This was also towards the end of, you know, the lockdown and the pandemic. And I think I just got on with stuff. Yeah. And I actually lost something that day. I think, uh, and you know, it's, it's funny. I was trying, I've actually tried to describe this to a few people that uh, around that same time, I felt a change in my personality and my relationship to my work where I found reasons not to give a fuck about certain things anymore and how to become more honest with myself and the people around me. Okay. And for the people that, like, that I don't want, that maybe are not um, uh, serving a, a, a broader relationship to maybe look in another direction. To maybe focus on the people that are important in my life for once and not look outside of that as much. Wow. Okay. Good. Yeah. Great answer. So, but I, mean, I never figured. I, I've never put that together in terms of like that timing really lined up to me going like, "Hey, I feel just like I'm starting to feel a little different. Like maybe like I don't give a fuck anymore about certain things." And, but I never kind of put it together on that timeline. So, so it, this is it's murky, right? So it's very difficult to come up with a like we 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 like we want to have a pragmatic, consequential yes or no. We are presented with events that force us to to grapple with these these lower like the mystery like somehow it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't very rarely do these things conclude like the end of a mystery novel where the <laughs> where the detective says i know who right. the, who did it you know and that and <laughs> right. then it's all you know and then, make a lot of those non-fiction books a little more interesting yeah that's the yeah <laughs> so yeah but it doesn't happen that way yeah so so you're 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 forced to interpret and then you're forced to say like okay this is you know like i feel like i'm 95 percent of the there that's a lot do i and i guess it's human nature to say like oh i can't quite you know, know for sure. So what I am at this point, right? So initially it was like UFOs and owls, just like UFOs and owls. That's all I'm yeah. interested in. Very quickly I learned like, oh no, there's other stuff too. There's UFOs and death. There's a lot of stories of UFOs and death. There's UFOs and, excuse me, I'm listening to me. I just did the thing which I do all the time. I 
just the word UFO and owls. I mm-hmm. can mix them up. So mm-hmm. so let me start over again. Yeah. The uh, for it was so the owl is connected to UFOs. Seemingly, I I feel like I can say that with some some strength and certainty. And then it's also connected to death. Oftentimes, after someone dies, I got a lot of stories where, like a lot of stories where someone dies, an owl shows up, and they're grieving. Often a parent dies, and their grieving ends. Mm. That is common. I have a very few where an owl seems to play as a premonition of, a, of an impending death. Mm. That's the mythology of owls. Mm. That is not what I'm finding. I'm finding exactly the opposite. Owls are connected with death, but after the person dies, mm. and the and people, I got, I can go on and on and on. I could, I could yeah. write a big fat book on that. Mm-hmm. So, the um, and then the other issue is um, owls and shamanic initiation. Mm. People who are, people who are going through the shamanic initiation process, it's well understood in the community of shamans, all over the world that owls seem to play a role. All sightings, and then meditation. I got a lot of stories of meditation. Mm-hmm. People oftentimes meditating in their house. They have sat. Well, one here's an example. One woman sat down in her uh, on her couch and meditated on her mother. She had been grieving over her mother. Her mother had died, and she had missed her mother. And she said, "I can't get past this grieving." So her intentions. She sat down with the intention of coming to the terms with the grieving grieving of her mother. So she meditates and she at the end she opens her eyes and she's looking straight at a window she said if i was a little like this the door would have framed would have blocked it if i was a little more like this i wouldn't have seen it so she was and there was an owl looking in the window at her and she she actually sent me a picture of the owl that morning so is this owl what's is this owl okay is, is this a sick owl i'm like i don't know it looks like it was a big barred owl it's on snowy it was outside and it looked like a back porch and i'm like looks fine to me what's the story and then she told me the story right so she's grieving her mother she says i want the grieving to end and i'm like you go you open the window and you talk to that owl wow so that that is Jeez, that's normal Mike. that's normal wow and i think that in the in human history that event in some form or another has happened since we were in the caves yeah it's happening now we live in this pragmatic world where we're like oh no that can't be real and we just dismiss it outright but let me tell you this is this is happening and the other thing is so um so collectively, I would say the owls represent the transformative experience, right? So you see a UFO, you're transformed. You have a powerful synchronicity, it changes your life. You have a powerful owl sighting, it can change your life. And I would argue that it's not necessarily the owl, right? So I've, I've tried mm-hmm. to make this analogy, right? You have a keyboard mm-hmm. and you're typing, you're sending someone a letter and you want to emphasize one point in the letter. Mm-hmm. All you do is you hit control or your shift key and then you push the exclamation point. Mm-hmm. So the question is, are owls, people say all the time, are owls good or bad? I'm like, like is, the, is the exclamation point on your keyboard good or bad? It's totally neutral. Yeah. It's, just a, it's just a thing. It's just a thing you push in order to emphasize a moment. I would argue that the owl is showing up not in connection to UFOs, but in connection to highly charged human experiences. So the the owl, whoever, well, I don't know, like I don't know how it works, right? So yeah. there's some grand. Tell me how it works. I, I can't answer that one, but I can tell you. I can say. I can say. I can give you evidence of events. Yeah. Where it's where there seems to be something at play. 
So somehow there is a punctuation mark. The owl is the owl is simply the punctuation. It's the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. The, the that's that's incidental. The sentence is what we should focus on. Um, so you had an experience without without shamanic initiation. You had an experience without anyone dying. You had an experience without a flying saucer, but you had an experience that began, something led up to it, and something changed after. And the owl, let's take a step back, the owl would be symbolic of the transformational process and would arrive at a time of a highly charged human experience. Yeah. Right? So you f- correctly were emotional about the, the, the implications of such an accident, right? The death of your wife was, was, could have occurred. You were correct, and then this was punctuated by an owl. How the owl arrived there, I can't answer. You know, was you know, but it did arrive there. And then afterwards, you changed your attitude and how you address it's. It would be these mysteries, right, that we're talking about right now. Yeah. So, and that's what I'm struggling with too. I talked about it earlier, where I'm like, like I'm bored. With the Tic Tac story. Like, I don't care about the stupid Tic Tac. Somebody said it, Mike. <laughs> like, like, who cares? Like, 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 the question is, did the pilot, is the, did the pilot have ESP afterwards? This is really common. Right. People who see yeah, UFOs. Yeah, there you go. Like, yeah. like, do you see a UFO? Like, the next thing you know, you're like in Sedona doing readings yeah, for people. Right, yeah. Right. I'm not joking either. Yeah. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, and yeah. uh, MUFON is, is about a conservative, dry, research organization as it gets in their form you go to the site they have yeah. a checklist of questions one uh-huh. of them is like okay the, which way did the ufo fly and it's like oh, i flew from east to west okay could you draw it yes i'll draw a little picture you know um what time was it very pragmatic questions one of the questions on the list is there's a couple questions one has your psychic abilities changed i'm paraphrasing from memory but this is pretty close have your psychic abilities changed or been enhanced that's a pretty weird question and the other one has your spirituality or religion changed or been enhanced. That's from seeing, yeah. So, <laughs> so from the most dry sort of they organization. Some, like, I'm not the yeah, only yeah. one that recognizes yeah, that yeah. pattern. So yeah, so I'm not speaking out of my hat yeah. on this one. This is this is a oh. recognized pattern in the in with people who have seen UFOs. And I would I would argue that it would be a recognized pattern. Well, I'd be careful. So. Well, you're doing the work. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah. the owl showing up at the time of 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 um, at highly charged moments in in people then becoming psychic. Yeah. I would say I could think of a handful of examples of that here. So. We're human beings. We yeah. are. We are. We are doing ourselves a disservice if we cut those strings that relate that that connect us yeah. to the underlying mysteries of of everything around us so i I was at a i'm serious so so someone contact i was at a ufo Uh conference one time and someone oh so what are you doing here like oh well you know like i'm like got these experiences i'm trying to look into them and trying to make sense of them the the owl and ufo experiences and he said well so like um how's your life changed since all this started and i had to think that's a good question i said i now live in a magical universe right so the bird on the table, the the sound of the winds in the trees, yeah. it's like it has taken on, I have given myself permission to see the magic in the simplest yeah. of acts. 
and then allowed myself to see the magic in the more, uh, I recognize that profound, profound events are happening to all of us all the time. have stories, and I deal with this, um, I'm, I'm careful of diagnosing, diagnosing or suggesting what is happening to someone, mm -hmm. right? Even when they're coming to you potentially because they were looking for just that. Um, how do you handle that type of scenario when if it's someone where you actually do believe like I think they're experiencing abduction perhaps well if they're coming to me they're already they're already like down that path yeah. like they didn't they didn't find me without like because mm -hmm. then yeah. they know mm -hmm. they had to have it in the back of their mind and what I can say is I can say I'm not a doctor mm -hmm. I'm not a clinician I'm not a psychologist I'm not a therapist I'm not a psychiatrist but I can tell you that I've collected all these stories and I've seen patterns. Your story fits the pattern. This is also something I've typed this. Oh my God, my fingers just like, <laughs> they just do it automatically. <laughs> I have heard, I've never heard your story before, but I've heard many stories with the same flavor or mood, which is true. Mm -hmm. Like almost never hear the exact same story, but wow, are they close. And if they're not exactly close, they have that, that eeriness yeah. that is palpable. Mm -hmm. That like, it's just odd enough that it like, so that, that form of eeriness, that flavor and mood permeates these stories. So, and then I can say, like, listen, if you came to me, I mean, this is in the literature, you don't have to do anything but do a few Google searches and you'll come up with these stories. So, but I'll just say, you know, the implication is, and I'm, I'm like UFO contact. I don't know what that means. So I almost never use that term. I did for a while, but I almost never use it anymore. It, but I would say that, you know, like, this is part of the human experience is you're not alone. Mm -hmm. and, and that's usually all they need to hear. Like, I've heard your story before. I will listen to your story. You are not alone. That's all they need to hear. I don't have to diagnose them. Yeah. I don't have to say they were abducted by aliens or that mm -hmm. four foot tall owl was a screen memory for something mm -hmm. else or, or all I got to say is you're not alone. Yeah. There's so many folks that's, that you're right. That's all they want to hear. That's all they want to feel. So many people listen and watch that are outside of the experience. Yeah. That still want to feel not alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? 